Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel lesson for this morning is this very familiar account of the rich man and Lazarus. This is an interesting text. It's unclear if this is a parable or if it's an actual account, a real event. It's very similar to a parable, but it's just different enough that it leaves us to wonder. Jesus does not begin by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and the meaning isn't hidden or obscured like other parables, not to mention that Jesus uses a specific name. The beggar is named Lazarus, one whom God helps. We would expect to know the name of the rich man, but instead we know the name of the beggar. It is quite likely that Jesus is telling us of an actual event. Perhaps the people there were familiar with this rich man and the beggar who lay outside the gates. This text has some of the characteristics of a parable, and at the same time, it reads like an actual event. We could look at this as an indictment against the rich, and I'm sure that many see nothing more than yet another reason to despise the rich as they read this passage. But that's not the point of the text. That's not why Jesus tells us this. Looking at our other two readings for this morning, it becomes clear that the account of the rich man and Lazarus is truly an account about love. It is an account about loving God and loving neighbor, as opposed to loving only self. This account, or parable, begins with the two opposites. We can easily picture in our minds both the rich man and the Lazarus. The rich man is dressed in the finest clothes, and Lazarus, he is dressed in sores. The rich man feasts sumptuously, but Lazarus longs only for the scraps. The rich man enjoys all the comforts that this world can offer, but Lazarus, he is only comforted by the feral dogs who stop by to lick his sores. One, in one sense, we can easily see that the rich man has no love. He pays no attention to the needs of Lazarus. He even thinks, or he may even think, that Lazarus is deserving of this torment, that he himself is deserving of his riches. As we read elsewhere, it's not an uncommon thought when they see somebody in a state like this to ask the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? We saw that with a man born blind, and it's certainly a common thought for the day. Either Lazarus deserves this torment because of his own sinfulness or because of his parents' misdeeds. And before we look down our noses at them, we tend to think the same things ourselves. When we see somebody on the streets, what do we say to ourselves? We imagine that they deserve it somehow. We reason that, well, maybe they somehow got themselves hooked on drugs. We reason that maybe they didn't apply themselves in school. We reason that maybe they allowed themselves to get fired. 
or they fail to look for a good job when they should have. But it isn't entirely true to think that the rich man is absent of love. The rich man loves much. He has a passionate love for his food, his drinks, and quite possibly his friends as well. This is probably the type of love that we are most familiar with in this life. This is an insatiable love fueled by our own desires. It's a love that seeks to fulfill one's own desires. We might even say that this rich man loves life and as we hear today, he's living his best life now, right? As he enjoys all that this world has to offer. But this sort of love, it does not stop to ask what is best for the object of our love. There was a recent example of this in the news that there was a tourist in Yellowstone. I don't know if any of you saw this. As he looked out his car window, he noticed a young buffalo calf. And this calf was stranded on one side of a river while his mother and the rest of the herd were on the other side. And filled with love... This man heroically got out of his car and helped this calf to the safety of dry ground. But what he did not realize that as soon as he handled and put his hands on that young calf, it would be rejected by its mother. The calf was covered by this man's scent. Its mother and the other buffalo wanted nothing to do with it. The rangers were forced to put down that calf as it was unable to survive on its own. The hero satisfied his own desire, only leading to the destruction of the object of his love. This sort of love looks like compassion and tenderness, but it only leads to destruction. This sort of love satisfies the desires of the individual, but it fails to take into account what is best for the object of our desire. The internet and our world thrives off this sort of love. We can instantly satisfy our desires with little thought to anyone else. We can post and comment with bravado with little thought to how that might hurt the other person. We may even think that we're doing the loving thing by, well, I'm just exposing their error. We may think that we are loving our neighbor by exposing all of their faults. But what we fail to see is how our words hurt and destroy. And it doesn't stop when we log off the computer and we start to interact with live people. We often seek to satisfy our own desires to be right, to be the most important, to be the one who knows the most, to turn the conversation back around to ourselves with little thought to how it affects the other person. We see this a lot when somebody is grieving or hurting. We feel like we need to say something. We feel like we need to come to the rescue and cure that person. And so we say something, the first thing that comes out of our mouth. And oftentimes it is not helpful, but rather hurtful and comforts nobody except for satisfying our own desire to feel like we did something good. It is far better to close our mouths and just sit and listen. When we look at Job and his friends, his friends did a marvelous job of comforting Job. 
That is, until they open their mouths. It's far better that they just stay silent. There are many people who say that love should be, or we should be free to love whoever or whatever we desire. This is, again, a very selfish love, with no concern for what is best for the object of our desire. It does not take into account God's command to be fruitful and multiply. It does not ask what's best for the other person. And we are all guilty of this sort of love. We are all guilty of a love that only looks inward and thinks little of how it affects anyone else. We are guilty of faulty reasoning, saying that God is love, therefore God could not possibly object to loving X, Y, or Z. If God is love and we are created in his image, therefore we are created to love, which is true, but we use it to rationalize all sorts of self-destructive and other destructive love. The rich man had no shortage of love to go around. Only his love was not focused outward, it was focused inward. He had an opportunity to love Lazarus, but he failed to do so. He had an opportunity to love God with his heart, mind, and strength. He had an opportunity to love his neighbor as himself, and he loved neither. This again is a fascinating text, and it gives us a small glimpse of the afterlife. When both men die, their souls are immediately taken. One is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried. He was in torment in Hades. Their roles are immediately reversed. Lazarus is now blissfully unaware, enjoying the blessings of paradise. But the rich man, he now becomes the beggar. He begs Abraham to have Lazarus dip his finger in the water to come cool his tongue. He begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers to spare them his same fate. It's a profound reversal. We expect the man who was showered by God's blessing in this life to be showered in the next. We expect the one seemingly wanting of God's blessings in this life to be wanting in the next. But God turns the table. Again, wanting to avoid torment, again, is not exactly love, is it? It's a selfish act. It is seeking to satisfy the desire of the flesh to not be in torment. It's not exactly the same thing as love. We love to point our finger at the rich man. We like to imagine that we are nothing like him. But we all fall short. We all miss the mark. Abraham's response in all of this, again, is fascinating. Notice that he calls the rich man child. He is indeed a child of Abraham. He is not an outsider. He's not one of the goyim. He falls under the covenant. However, this child did not pay attention to the scriptures. For as we read that Old Testament passage, it tells us what it looks like when you love God with your whole heart, your mind, and your strength. That you read his word, that you put it on your walls, that you talk about it with your friends, that you raise your children to to hear the word of God constantly. 
but he does not do this. He does not listen to Moses and the prophets. What's more, even if Lazarus or even Jesus came back from the dead, neither the rich man nor his brothers would believe. Their hearts were already hardened. They did not love the Lord their God, and they did not love their neighbor. But God's love for us is quite different. His love for us is a decision on his part. He decided, he declared that he would love you. He decided that he would lift you up and make you holy. He decided to claim you as his own child. His love for you is, per, is purely for your benefit, not his. In the same way that Lazarus was lifted out of the gutter, Christ lifts you up too. He comes to you. He rescues you from the depths of sin. Again, from 1 John, God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we seek an illustration of godly love, look no further than the cross. For God's love for you is Christ on the cross. God's love for you is Christ living a perfect life in your place. God's love for you is Christ raised from the dead. It isn't that we loved him first, so he decided to have mercy on us. It isn't that we buttered him up enough with our good deeds that he finally gave in and decided to help us. It isn't even that God thought we looked cute and pathetic like an abandoned puppy and decided to save us. God sees you in your brokenness. God sees all of your sin. God sees just how self-centered you really are. Yet he does not leave you in the street with only feral dogs to lick your sores. He He came down from heaven and put on the form of a servant. He died on the cross, rose again from the grave, and ascended into heaven, all for you. It is this unfathomable love of God toward us that enables us now to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and all those outside of the church as well. It is this unfathomable love toward us that enables us to love even the unlovable. Filled with the love of Christ, we cannot but love our neighbor. As we embrace the perfect love of God, it has an incredible impact on our lives. Luther describes us as a drain pipe. Actually, he used a word a little bit more colorful. But he describes us as a drain pipe where the love of God comes flowing through us. At times, we're not even aware of it. And I have to note here that this is not a call to perpetual martyrdom either. On an airplane, we are always instructed to put on our own mask first before helping others. You cannot pour from an empty cup. We can love and serve our neighbor better when we make sure that we are well fed, well fed on word and sacrament first. We could look at this account of the unnamed rich man and Lazarus and see nothing but law. We could look at it and say that 
The selfish rich are condemned while the poor and needy have salvation. But as we look closely at the text and the rest of Scripture, it becomes obvious that this text is actually about love. The rich man is condemned because he loves neither God nor his neighbor. He spends his days looking to satisfy his own desires. He wears the finest clothes and feasts sumptuously every day. There are some who serve their neighbor because they're trying to impress God. They are trying to earn their way into heaven. But this too is a selfish love. They are using their, their neighbor. They don't truly care for them. They are trying to gain something through them. But when you embrace the perfect love of Christ, you are free to love your neighbor for their sake alone. When you embrace the fact that Christ loves you and forgives you all of your sins, you are eager to share that love with others. When you embrace the perfect love of Christ, you want others to name this same joy and peace. And so my prayer for you today is this that you would fully know and embrace that love of Christ. And that love of Christ would inspire you and help you, that you would be eager to share that love with others all around you. Amen. Amen. And now may that peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.